And we read there, the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I sat foot, set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the, the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account for my life of any value, nor as, a precious, as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among you whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pray, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseas to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves come, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own slaves, selves, will arise men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you, everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessity and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. Being sorrowful most of all because of the words he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Here ends God's reading. Hi everyone. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Andy. I'm the pastor here. Uh, it's great to see you here. Uh, if you have a Bible in front of you, that would be really helpful as we look at this really important passage together. Uh, there is outlines as, as well. Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Father, we thank you for uh, your church, uh, for calling us together as your people. And we pray now as we look to your word and look to learn and grow, uh, we pray that your spirit would be amongst us, uh, drawing us to yourself and, and changing us. And so through this, make us more like Jesus, we pray. In his name. Amen. 
Well, you might have had a moment at the airport where you're waving off a friend or a family member uh, with a lump in your throat. Uh, if you're like me, maybe not. Maybe you just drop and run at the kiss and drop. Uh, but perhaps for an international flight, you might, you might behave differently. Imagine what you would say to them if you knew it was a final goodbye. What would you say if they were your children? Uh, I don't think you would waste any words. Uh, there would be tears and perhaps some solemn instructions for their future. And I think it's really helpful to have that picture in mind as we look at Paul with his friends at the end of this chapter in the book of Acts. And there are parallel earlier ministry that we've been looking at. Paul follows after Jesus as he faces his own journey to Jerusalem. And so we have this final farewell uh, where Paul is passing the baton on and there's a lot to learn here about what effective and faithful gospel ministry looks like. What makes a... This morning, I know this passage is often used to talk of eldership and that is something that we're looking at currently and we're praying for elders. Uh, but I want us to see this as something for the whole church uh, to, to look on and reflect on. Uh, so the, there's three headings uh, to capture this idea. Uh, a healthy example, healthy shepherding, and the fruit of a healthy church. So firstly, a healthy example. Uh, last Saturday, the leadership uh, met and we looked at this passage as a model for leadership. And there's a lot to say when it comes to leaders in the church today and some of the pitfalls of leadership that strays from a school saga or know of other Christian leaders over the past few years that have really caused mayhem through their, their personality-driven uh, style of leadership uh, rather than following a biblical pattern. And Paul wasn't a lone ranger when it comes to ministry. He was in it with others. And so there's lots to learn about team ministry here. And he relied on them and they relied on him. And he didn't just talk the talk. He walked it. He demonstrated what it means to follow Jesus. And he pushed on even when things got really difficult. And he called people to imitate him. And that's this passage in Corinthians it's an amazing, amazing thing to ask people to do. Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And so having spent time in Ephesus, uh, he called the church leadership from there to meet him at Miletus, uh, which was south, uh, two or three day hike, uh, sort of a leadership retreat, if you like. And there's a pattern set for churches to appoint elders and to lead those churches in each city and town. It's part of what makes a healthy biblical model of a church. And Paul gives this explanation to his ministry. It's about how he ministered in the past, a need in place for the present. And so that's how we'll just break this up. So verse 18, have a look with me. When they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. And look at the way that Paul has ministered here, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trial, from declaring to you anything that was profitable 
and teaching you in public and from house to house. Look at his humility and his passion, his perseverance, his determination, his thoughtfulness, his transparency. He recognises his place under the lordship of Jesus. No matter what he faced, he served willingly and courageously. Isn't that a great model for a leader in the church? A great model for any Christian in the church. And as a pastor, I'm in awe of this kind of total dedication and passion for God and his people. This is the kind of Christian maturity that you and I ought to value highly and seek to imitate in our own lives. Recognising your place under Christ's headship, serving him with everything that you've got, seeking gospel opportunities wherever it is that you happen to find yourself, at work. Paul wasn't prejudiced either. Verse 21, he preached to both Jews and Greeks equally, that each one must turn to God, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. Uh, There wasn't favouritism, even though he was Jewish himself. There's a transparency to his ministry, and he clearly laid out what Jesus had entrusted him to do anywhere, anytime, any place, to anyone. So with that in mind, look at how he faces the future in verse 22. Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await. So Paul gets his own travel advisory from the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says what is to come won't be a picnic. Persecution awaits in his life. And look at his attitude to that. It's like to live is Christ, to die is gain. Verse 24, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only that I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel. And I wonder if you face hostile opposition in your life with that kind of resolve. He is determined to complete his mission, testifying to the gospel of God's grace, the good news of Jesus. It's the heartbeat that he lives by, the pulse that drives him deeper and closer to the Lord Jesus. It's the rhythm and tempo that he's locked in time with, the key that he tunes his life to. That's enough musical analogies. Uh, That is a great model for the Christian life. And as someone who has their eyes fixed on Jesus and has the gospel as core to their life's business. And then he says that he won't see them again. Uh, The next chapter in their lives will be up to them. And he makes this formal declaration in verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink back from declaring you the whole counsel of God. That's really interesting language, isn't it? Why would he be innocent of their blood? Was he intending on doing something to them? No. Uh, The idea behind that is really relevant to his charge to these church leaders, leaders. And the idea is an, an Old Testament one. Uh, 
Uh, I once went on a tall ship and we sailed around Kangaroo Island in South Australia. And going up the lookout was really fun because it meant climbing up the, ma the mast uh, up to the top. And when you're under full sail, the ship kind of tilts like that. And so you're on an angle right up the top and you can feel every wave that hits. And it's great fun. Uh, but then we had to share watches through the night and I had to be up at 3 a.m. That bit was not so fun. Uh, but it was a really important role. Someone needed to watch out and keep an eye on things, uh, even when we're at anchor. So perhaps you've been a teacher on yard duty with a bunch of year eight students who are up to no good. Uh, you've been a watchman, uh, like a sentry over the city gates, someone who watches out for danger and then sounds the alarm. And Ezekiel chapter 33 has this idea about the importance of a watchman uh, when disaster comes. They need to sound the alarm. Have a look at it. If the watchman sees the sword coming and doesn't blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and takes someone's life, well, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood, that there will be an account for those who are in a position to warn and then failed to do so. And Ezekiel himself was like a watchman for God's people. As a prophet, he needed to bring God's message to them and warn them about what they were facing. And in a sense, that's Paul's ministry too. He, he's got a clear with the whole counsel of God. And that is a vital element in a healthy church. Not just that God's word is central, but that all of God's word is central. It can't just be the cherries without the whole cake. Uh, the church's healthy diet needs to include the Bible, not just my meal just down to that. And so we're committed to verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, taking God's word as it comes, uh, expositing it rather than cherry picking, proclaiming, warning, inviting not just conjecture, personal agenda, or, or take or leave it. And it needs to give confidence in the inspiration and authority of Scripture. It is God's living and active word. And all of Scripture is vital for a healthy church. And the centrality of that needs to be the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Not just the easy to digest bits. And Mark Dever, uh, search finds its life as it listens to the word of God. It finds its purpose as it lives out and displays the word of God. And the church's job is to listen and then to echo. And so that's Paul's healthy example to imitate. Just as he served Jesus, you and I need to have this kind of mature, transparent, faithful, tenacious gospel-centred life. We need the whole counsel of God to face what we face today and tomorrow. And so that's essential. Uh, bad shepherding is a really terrible thing. We once lived in a property just out of Adelaide, and I've seen the impact of dodgy shepherding. Uh, we had a next-door neighbour whose sheep uh, kept escaping into our property, and it became clear that he didn't, not, not just not caring about the fence, he didn't care about his sheep 
and he failed to check on them for weeks on end. And eventually we found his sheep floating in the dam or collapsing from malnutrition. And it was a serious case of neglect. And I think he ended up getting reported. And I remember having to cut one of those sheep loose that was stuck in a fence. It was too weak to break out of it after trying to either jump over or just going crazy. And sheep do crazy things sometimes when they're not cared for. Uh, the Bible to describe the people of God, and it has good intentions for good shepherds. And verse 28 has the first command to these elders. And so if you're looking at eldership, you really need to grapple with what's being said here. Paul wants them to be a watchman as well. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of us. So like a, a shepherd watches their flock, it's not washes their socks, is it? No, watches their flock. Church leaders have this serious responsibility to stand guard over God's church and care for them. But you see, they're, they're actually called to do something first, and it's to watch over themselves, life and your doctrine closely. So these elders or overseers have to first recognise their own need for Jesus, his correction, his comfort, so that they can better equip others. And they need to watch their own heart is in the right place, so they're not tricked by the enemy's schemes, that their spiritual life is a healthy life. But I don't want you to think that you're off the hook in this passage because it's addressed to elders. It's vital that you know what elders in a church are tasked to do. And when I say elders, we could actually say, well, anyone in Christian leadership. Uh, it could apply to more than just the elders and the pastor. Whether that's in your family or in ministry with youth or young adults or in kids' ministry, it's a question of where you are in terms of Christian maturity and everyone is called to maturity in Christ. And so you need to know what that looks like and why it matters so much. It helps the sheep to know their shepherd and know what he's called to do in certain circumstances, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So these guardians are called to shepherd in a way that values each of the sheep. Healthy shepherding sees the inherent worth of God's people. The church isn't just a bunch of annoying sheep. As much as we might joke about that, it's not true. Everyone is purchased with God's own blood. They are his redeemed people who are precious to him. Everyone. And most farmers will tell you that foxes are cruel they hate them, they want to shoot them because they pick off the vulnerable and only eat the bits that they like. Foxes are disgusting creatures and I think wolves must have been similar. Without a vigilant shepherd, the sheep will be left to fend for themselves and the wolf will have easy pickings. Uh, but look too, there's the wolf in sheep's clothing, verse 30. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So there's dangers without and dangers within. 
And so the shepherd has quite a task to spot this and deal with it. And Jesus warned this same thing about false prophets who come in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ravenous wolves. John Calvin said, Ambitious men will always turn away from proper purity and corrupt the word of God. And some churches are completely oblivious to this. And from my own experience, too often the response to the latest and greatest Christian speakers, Christian music, is to go with whatever's popular, welcome any and all, without first investigating and testing what the influences are, what they're actually teaching, and how it stacks up against God's word. And I've seen the impact on a church of a false teacher. Uh, His name was John Shelby Spong. He was a bishop in the American Episcopalian Church, so the Church of England in the US. And his was a particularly deadly teaching that ended up dividing, scattering and devouring God's people. He was a wolf (laughs) parading as a sheep and he systematically undermined people's confidence in things like the atonement of Jesus or the resurrection. And we might just say, well, pretty much Christianity as we know it. And that kind of phony, uh, poisonous teaching needs to be met with faithful, biblical, uncompromising shepherding. It's really important. Now, I want to ask you a really hard question. It's hard for me to ask because I want to ask it with all due respect. But are you a difficult sheep? Do you submit yourself to faithful biblical leadership in your local church? Or are you prone to wander? Are you, in fact, off in the next door paddock and you're not interested in in shepherding? Uh, Sheep can get easily lost. They need that constant care. And sometimes they even stink and they need the, the shell off them. You and I need good shepherding. We, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us our own way. So sheep are profoundly obstinate, and sometimes they can make a shepherd's life miserable if they constantly undermine the direction of the flock or prove one sheep to another. Don't hear me wrong. John Stott said some people are a great trial to their pastors, and some pastors are a great trial to their people. There are difficult sheep and sometimes really frustrating shepherds and we're going to need grace with each other. Uh, But, of course, the Lord Jesus is our great shepherd. He is the one who voices when they turn and repent. Uh, We sang before, Jesus strong and kind. And he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And if you don't yet know Jesus for yourself... Uh, I'd love to meet with you perhaps after this morning and pray with you and lead you to him. He knows his sheep and they know him. But remember, this is how Jesus has established his church. He is appointed under shepherds, called to feed his people, care for them, and sometimes chase the wolf away. It is their job to hold firmly to the gospel, to encourage others 
and refute. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. It's one of the hardest passages, I think, in the New Testament because it says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. It would be really helpful to go and reflect on that passage uh, later today. A healthy church needs healthy shepherding. Uh, we need leaders who shepherd the flock as faithful under-shepherds, accountable to the chief shepherd. Uh, and we need leaders who shepherd God's people like Jesus, strong and kind. It needs everyone to recognise the value of that and the importance of that task. So finally this morning, we look at some healthy fruits and Paul's benediction, his parting words with them before he gets on the plane or the ferry in verse 32. And now I commend to you, you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So he doesn't commit them into the hands of one of the elders. He commits them to God. It is God's church, God's people, God's word, and God's work. It is a healthy church, really. His word of grace has power to establish and equip you for all that you need to love and serve him and live for him in your life. So we need to be devoted to that. Uh, and next, Paul outlines his Christ-like service with them. Uh, so look from verse 33. There's no private jets here with Paul. I coveted no one know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he said he, he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul is not in hard work, self-sacrifice, putting others before his own needs, helping those who need it. That is following Jesus. And lastly, there's this amazing picture of this loving devotion between Paul and his people. Paul is not an ivory tower theologian. Look at these verses. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that he would not, they would not see his face again. It's a hugely emotional moment. Uh, it's not very reformed church people, is it? Uh, some of us don't do emotion. I think it all finishes with this embarrassing loss of self-control. Uh, but they're not just being European here. Uh, this ought to make you long for this kind of connectedness with other Christians. This says we are not islands of individualism. We're not just a category. We're a community of faith in the Lord Jesus. And we need to beware the cultural tide of individualism that balks at biblical submission. And we need to beware the lie of self-sufficiency, uh, you know, with, with, with fences up to all my neighbours that fails to see the need that you have for others in your life under God. Beware of undervaluing the place of God's people 
in your life and the leaders who he gives his church. You and I are made for this. This says, I belong to you and you to me under the lordship of the Lord Jesus. Sharing life together, even when things get hard. And I wonder what steps you might take to come towards uh, rather than to isolate. And I pray that you'd be considering that. I pray too that those of us in leadership and pastoral care are taking steps toward you. We need lots of grace with each other. But let's just wrap this up. Who do we look for to serve as elders among us? What kind of qualities should they have? Well, we have this great model of Christian leadership, someone who is fundamentally gospel-hearted, a man after God's own heart, who is dedicated to the gospel being proclaimed, at gospel ministry as a fellow under-shepherd, someone who's a team player. A healthy church needs leaders who cry with their people. And it needs people to cry with them, uh, who walk together in the gospel. And we need that modelled. We need that special commission acted on by trustworthy shepherds who watch and care for the flock like Jesus. And so we need to be a people committed to God and his word of grace. A healthy church devoted to Christ-like service, working hard together in the cause of the gospel giving out rather than taking, devoted to each other, recognising our shared value as people redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, we like sheep have gone astray, but you've laid on Jesus all our iniquity. You've poured out the penalty for our wayward and sinful hearts on him, the perfect sacrifice. And so we, we recognise our need for faithful shepherding. We confess those times where we've lived for our own ends and refuse to see our connectedness to those uh, others in our life who follow Jesus. We ask that you would help each one of us to look to Jesus, our good shepherd, the great overseer of our souls, him who died and rose again so that we might live. We thank you for those who lead in this church. Uh, we pray together that we can serve you as one people, holy, redeemed and loved. So unite us in your gospel uh, through your spirit at work and in Jesus' name. Amen.